Church. Uh, the teaching text this morning is from Genesis chapter 30, uh, through ver- or verses 25 through 43. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pass through your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black. And he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastored the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Okay. It's all right. A couple of things before we get started. One is um, just to encourage you to, to sign up for the leadership cohort. So if you're already a leader or you are aspiring to leadership, um, that is something that um, will help you in, in that endeavor. So right now we have one person signed up. So uh, that's Mason Adams. He's a, he's a star. He's a star. Um, and then uh, for our Sunday seminars, we're always, we started those last year, and we're starting them again this year. So um, if you're interested in that, we will be going again through 
Um, uh, well, no, we're, we're going through the spiritual disciplines um, for this first one. So if you're interested in that and want to grow in that a- area, um, please do sign up for those as well. Um, and also, uh, a bit of good news, Audrey Ansley is in labor right now. She went into the hospital this morning at 5.30. So, uh, so be praying for her and Evan, um, mostly her. Um, Evan's doing nothing right now. So uh, pray, for, pray for her and for uh, the little baby. As far as I know, they have not had the baby yet. So, okay, we haven't. So, all right, well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we, um, we are grateful that it is uh, by your hand that we have been guided here this morning. Uh, even if we don't really believe that yet. Uh, You are the God who is in control of all things. And so I pray in this moment um, we have together, looking in your word, that we would be able to just acknowledge um, that uh, we didn't show up here by accident. And therefore you have something that you want to show to us, that you want to reveal to us uh, about our own sin and brokenness, um, but also about how much you love us in Christ. And so I pray, um, even through a, a, a text like we have today, um, that your love for your people um, would shine through. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So we do come to another strange portion of our narrative this morning. Um, I'm sure you didn't come hoping that we would be uh, talking about farm animal breeding and real estate. Uh, not really a text that we get excited about. Um, I don't think I've ever had anyone quote to me during a time of difficulty from Genesis 30, ever. And I can guarantee you, if we did not um, walk through whole books of the Bible like we do here at Christ the King every single week, uh, I would probably never preach this passage kind of standing alone like we are today. So this is why we preach uh, and, and why I preach and why we read in context um, of, of where the Bible has us. We don't just pull Scripture out of its context and then um, develop some life lesson around it. We want to be in the text. We want it to show us um, what it has to show us, not what Kevin has to show you. And so that's what it forces us to do every single week. So, so, we, so if, we, we take, if we take it, this passage or the passage that we had last week, and we uh, combine it with the passage that we had this week, which is how the Bible is written. We only break it up because we just don't have enough time every single week to walk through the entire book of the Bible. But if we take those together, they form the center of what the Jacob stories are. They, they form the center of, of what the Jacob stories are for us as well. So Moses, who is the author of Genesis, wants his readers to understand that even though Jacob was not yet fully aware, he wants us to know that God's promises were developing rapidly. And that is seen in the increase of both Jacob's family and Jacob's possession. So we saw the increase of Jacob's family last week, and now we are seeing the increase of Jacob's possessions this week. And all of this, The increase of family, the increase of possessions and wealth, all of this is in fulfillment of what God told Jacob in his dream in chapter 28 of what he is going to do through Jacob and through the line of promise. So we know God is at work continually, and sometimes it's obvious. 
Sometimes it's very, very clear to us that this, this, is, this is the Lord's doing. It is obvious. I mean, God speaking in a dream is pretty obvious to Jacob. God is at work. And then sometimes, and I, I would say more often than not, it's not so obvious. But in those not-so-obvious times, in those kind of mundane, kind of boring areas of life, that doesn't mean God is not at work. And today's text is kind of like this. So we're going to pull two things out of this text concerning uh, our own awareness of God and, and, through his con- and see this through his continued work of establishing his promises to Jacob. So two, two points today. One is the anticipation of God's faithfulness. The second is the enjoyment of God's blessing. So one is the anticipation of God's faithfulness. So an anticipation is something we all uh, feel at times. Uh, some of you may be anticipating graduating from school or, 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 getting, uh, or getting done uh, during your work week on a Friday. You're anticipating the weekend or you're looking forward to and anticipating a vacation or a pay raise. I know for a few of my kids, they were anticipating the new season of Outer Banks dropping on Netflix. And I know some of the adults in the room were as well. Um, We're also in a season of Lent. It started on Wednesday, and Lent is, we could say, a season of anticipation. We are anticipating the death and resurrection of Jesus by setting our minds and hearts on what Jesus has already accomplished through both of those acts. And so we are anticipating this this celebration. That's why the church calendar is so important to us, because it does, it, it gets us ready to celebrate in those particular ways. So as Christians, we're always living with anticipation. I mean, we're always living, uh, remembering that, that Jesus says, I will return. So there's this anticipation as we sit in this, what we would call the second advent. Or as the psalmist says, we, we're looking to the hills from where our help will come. We are anticipating our help returning. And we acknowledge that that God has been at work since the beginning of our life and since the beginning of time, that he's at work now in real time, even as we sit here, and he will continue to be at work in the future. We can anticipate that because he said said it was so, and therefore it is true. And this is the reality that we are witnessing in the Jacob story. God orchestrating his good purposes in Jacob's life. And it's almost as if he's doing this piece by piece. He's just kind of revealing, he's just kind of pulling back uh, the veil a little bit more and a little bit more as we walk along in Jacob's life, um, revealing himself to Jacob over the course of his life. So I brought this up a couple of weeks ago. I'm reading through uh, John Newton's letters that he'd written to various peoples, but uh, he called this, um, this idea, this principle, uh, God's progressive work of grace which I really love, because as Christians, we are always experiencing this. God's work in us is never static. It's, it's never a holding pattern. It's, it's not a fixed point, which means we should, we should always be growing as Christians. So Paul says to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 4, chapter, uh, verse 15, he says, and he's talking concerning uh, spiritual gifts and growing as a believer. Paul says... Practice these things, 
immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You should be progressing, growing in your understanding and awareness of God, and you should be anchored to the Scriptures in that way. So I know, there's, I know that there's certain, uh, a certain belief system that, that people have taken the word progressing, progressive Christianity. They've taken that word and they've run with it, and, they've, and they think progressing is, oh, we're getting beyond what the Bible says. It's, it's an old, ancient book, so therefore we never have to listen to it again. That is not what I'm talking about. We are progressing uh, anchored to uh, the Scriptures. So the reformers of the church used to use a Latin phrase called semper reformanda, which means always reforming. Which means as a Christian, you are always to be reforming your life according to the Word of God. And this doesn't happen all at once. You know this to be true. There may be things in the scriptures, uh, even now and, and within Christianity, that you still wrestle with or, or you don't have figured out yet. Or even you're kind of like, I don't know, I, might, I could go this way or that way on those particular things. And I just want to let you know, that is okay. That is an okay, okay place to be because you are still in those moments, you are still growing in your awareness of God and his work in your life. You don't have to have it all figured out yet. But I would encourage you, even if you're in, the, in, in, in all of that, in, in that just I don't understand everything yet or, or I'm still kind of working through some particular issues, I would encourage you to discipline your life in such a way that you are attuned to God at work in every aspect of it. That you're not just saying, well, God is, he's at work on a Sunday right now. God's at work. But as soon as I step out of here and, and, and go to, out to lunch or go back home, God has ceased to work. I would encourage you to, to, to look at that differently. That God is constantly at work. It's not just here, but it happens on Monday uh, morning. It happens on uh, Thursday evening at 11 p.m. That it happens on you know, Friday afternoon at lunch with your coworkers. God is at work. So we need to stop seeing things as mere coincidences or uh, irony, but a life that is orchestrated by your creator, whether you believe that or not. So Jacob is growing in this way, in his awareness of God at work in his life. And we see this in verses 27 through 30. Look there with me again. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? So verse 27 begins with Laban's account of what God is doing through Jacob. He, he truthfully acknowledges, the Lord has blessed me because of you, Jacob. The Lord has done that. So Laban is not one that we would consider uh, being aware of the God of Jacob. Uh, there has been no indication in the text uh, that he is someone who is a God worshiper. Although later we do find out that he does worship idols. 
So he is spiritual in, in some sense. And even here, Moses lets us know that, that the way that he finds out that it's God who has done this for him, or God who has blessed him because of Jacob, is he uses divination to learn that. But he didn't need to do this. I mean, you hear it in Jacob's words. He could have just inquired of Jacob and found all of this out uh, himself just as easily. But instead, he uses this, this ancient magic ritual in which to find, find it out. Which just lets us know that he was aware of God, but he was not a worshiper of God. And I think many in our culture today fall into this category, especially where we live in, in, the, in the southern United States. Uh, they are aware of God, and sometimes they'll take that awareness and say that that is their salvation. I'm aware of God. I believe in God. But that's where it stops. Because they're not a worshiper of God. Which is simply not enough. Awareness will not make you right with God. It doesn't make Laban right with God. And the only thing that will make you right with God is believing that what he, what he has done for you in Christ is true. It's the only way that you're made right with God. I mean, James later says, even the demons believe in God. Even the demons are, they're much more aware of God than, than you and I are, and they shudder at the thought of Him. And they're not worshipers of God. So Laban is not at this point where he is a God worshiper. He is, he is merely concerned only with prophets from Jacob's presence, not the God of Jacob. And because of his wealth gained from Jacob's presence, he is willing to negotiate. He wants to keep Jacob around as long as possible because he is getting rich. And so he says to Jacob, name your wages and I will give it. To which Jacob responds in verse 30, For you had little before I came, and it increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. So we can see here just a hint of Jacob's logic here is that it is God-centered. And, and this is the first time since meeting Jacob in our narrative that we've actually heard him acknowledge God's activity in his own life. He's kind of floated around the idea. He's been around it since chapter 25. So he has this growing awareness of God at work in his life. So if you remember, in chapter 27, when he gets the blessing from his father by deceit, his father expresses that God's hand will be upon Jacob. That you will be blessed. Your, your brothers will bow down to you. And then you have in chapter 28, Isaac, once he's kind of come to his belief in God, he repeats the blessing to Jacob to emphasize God's work in his life. He says to him, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And the end of chapter 28, God appears to Jacob in a dream, telling him exactly what he's going to do in his life. So much so that Jacob could have used God's word as a checklist. He could have said, all right, God's done that, God's done this, and, and really been encouraged by this. This is what God says to him in chapter 28, verses 14 and 15. He says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
And then you have chapter 30. In the midst of his family growing, he has an angry outburst at his wife Rachel because she is distraught over not having children, but she's watching her sister Leah have all of these children. And And she talks to Jacob about it and says she wants him to do something about it. And Jacob responds with an acknowledgement that it is God who brings children into the world, not him. He says, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So Jacob was even beginning to understand that, that God was in control, that God was the one who was growing his family. And now here in our text this morning, Jacob's awareness of God has grown even more. There is no doubt that God is fulfilling his promises to him. And in verses 25 through 26 in chapter 30, a clue is given that Jacob believes this as he anticipates the beginning of a new era in his own life. So his wives have all had children at this point, by the time we get to verse 25, and it's now time for them to break away from Laban. So, so in this time period, uh, having children was a big deal. And if you did not have children, uh, typically the, the, the daughter would stay with her father until she did have children. And so that's why you have this immediate switch when you have uh, verse 24. After Rachel has had Joseph, and she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And then you get into 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Let me go. Let me go back home. Everything is fulfilled here. I have no ties to you any longer, and it is time for me to go. So Jacob is anticipating this new era of his life beginning. So his, wife is, his wives have all had children, and he, he, he's ready to go. So, so in verse 25, Jacob says to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Because if you remember the oath that Jacob made with God in chapter 28, after he has this miraculous dream, he says, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So Jacob has been anticipating this, uh, this time and, and now it is upon him. Now it is time to go back to his father's house. Now it's time for him to fulfill this oath to God. And it's God who has given him a family, and now he can look forward to the fulfillment and even the enjoyment of the promised blessing in the land. Because it's through the abundance of God's blessing that both Laban and Jacob settle on this new agreement. So let me just read it for you again uh, in verses 27 through 34 just in case it didn't grab your attention the first time. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. 
when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. You see, because God was blessing Jacob, Laban wanted him around. So, so even in this, this deal that Jacob is making, he still remains with Laban six more years. So a grand total of 20 plus years that, that Jacob has been serving this, uh, his uncle for free. And so he stays with him longer. It's profitable for Laban uh, to keep him around. Yet Jacob knows now that God is with him and will continue to bless him. So he proposes this really odd deal with Laban. He's not asking for a lot. And, and it was odd because Jacob was going to gain little from this deal. So just to give you some historic background on this, if you were a shepherd at this time and you were keeping the flock, keeping someone's herd, a, a normal business dealing during this time for this particular work, uh, the wages paid were usually 20% of the flock to the shepherd. But rather than using this percentage, Jacob asked for those animals that are marked with color. So essentially what Jacob is, he is just lowballed himself. He said, I'm going to take less by asking you just to give me the, the, the messed up animals. And so that's what he does. Because Jacob was not trying to become wealthy here. The only reason we have to understand why is because of this progressive work of God's grace in Jacob's life. He knew that God was going to provide for him. God even tells him that he's going to do that. And so this led, to, led, to, led him to anticipate God's provision for him and his family, even in this strange way. So he wasn't looking at the immediate circumstances of his life, but he was looking forward to what God had promised that he would do, that God would provide for him in the land, that God would give him everything that he needed, that he would give him a family, that, he would, that would outnumber the dust. And God's already done all of that in Jacob. So I think this is a good posture for us to assume as well. The same one Jacob does. To, to trust God for our future, even when current circumstances are not ideal. Even, even when things that are not working out according to your plans and purposes. That's usually where we get hung up, isn't it? But as Christians, we are simply called to trust and move forward by faith. And we are moving forward by faith, not, in, not, not a blind faith, not a blind faith, but we are moving forward in the promises of God that he has made to us in his word. Those are things that are real and are tangible. And this is what Jacob does. But we're dealing with Jacob's family here. And so this can't come along as easily as, as, I, as I'm saying it's coming along because uh, it has to come along with some drama. And we get drama from both Laban and, sadly, Jacob as well. And so this is what we find out in our second point, the enjoyment of God's blessing. So in verse 34, Jacob agrees to, uh, Laban agrees to Jacob's terms. He's, he's, getting a he's like, man, this, this guy is a fool. I am gonna, I'm going to take advantage of him here as well. So he's getting a deal. So he's, he accepts these terms, and he does it pretty quickly. There's no back-and-forth bartering for this. He knows he's getting a deal. But then you have verses 35 and 36. 
Even though Laban is getting a deal from uh, his nephew here, he sa- it says, But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons, and set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban's thought process is not, hey, I want to help my nephew out, even though he's, he's really messed himself up here, asking for these, these spotted lambs and black sheep. Um, Laban's thought process is, I'm going to deceive him again. I'm going to take advantage of this guy one last time. I'm going to milk everything I can out of him. So he essentially steals the sheep and the goats away from Jacob. This is a man who cares little for Jacob. This is a man who cares little for his family because his, uh, Jacob's family includes his two daughters and all of his grandchildren. So he's not just doing this to Jacob. He's doing it to everyone in his family. But he's dealing with Jacob. Jacob, I mean, for goodness sakes, Jacob is the one who, who outwitted and deceived his own father. And so Jacob knows how to deceive. And so he proceeds to beat Laban at his own game. So remember, Jacob is beginning to turn towards God here more and more, but he's not completely there yet. So we can say since the beginning of Jacob's career in deception, the deceiver has been deceived And now the deceiver deceives the deceiver again, who then deceives the deceiver who is deceiving him. You got all that? So in verse 37, much like the Mandrake method for getting pregnant that we heard about last week, Jacob employs another superstitious practice that appears to change the coloring of the sheep and the goats at birth. Verses 37 through 39 explains Jacob's process. Let me read it again. So Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So this simply lets us know that that Jacob's turn towards God was not complete, nor is it really ever complete, even for us. But he truly isn't trusting God for everything in his life. Even here, he continues to trust in his own efforts, which has been a family pattern, to try to go, you know what, I I believe God, I, I believe he's at work in my life, but right here, right now, this just seems like I need to take take over. And I think all of us fall into this trap at some point in our life. We, we're, we're willing to trust God for those things that are obvious and simple. So I would call that kind of the low-hanging fruit of our life. I'll just give you one example. We all did it this morning, whether you knew it or not, when we prayed the Lord's Prayer. Every single Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we always pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Now, some of you probably think that's just a ritualistic thing that we pray. And it just, we just kind of go, blah, 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 daily bread, yeah, 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 we got it. All right, let's move on to the next thing. But that's how Jesus taught us to pray. That is, a, that is a real prayer that we are praying together. So together, we are acknowledging that we need God to give us what we need to live. And that includes our daily 
bread. Now, that is an easy prayer to pray. And the reason why it's an easy prayer to pray and to trust God for is when we pray it, I know at least for me, I have a fully stocked refrigerator and a fully stocked pantry at home. And if you don't have one of those at this point in time, you can stop by the grocery store right now, right after, not right now, but right after we get done here and pick up everything that you would need to live. You probably don't even give that a second thought. That that is God's provision for you. God has supplied. That is your daily bread. And you might even forget that it's God who gives that to you. Because you have no problem providing it for yourself. So in those moments, we tend to kind of run on autopilot. We, we, we acknowledge God. We, we believe that he's true. We believe he saved us. But in those types of moments, we're not really acknowledging his presence in our life. But then you start thinking about the much bigger things. The more desperate needs that you have. The, the impossible even that your bank account, your status, your job, whatever it might be can't provide for you it's a simple prayer efficient enough for those things and i would say a lot of the times we don't think they are i know at least for me so so you begin to think well i need to run this through myself i need to i need to do something i need to rearrange whatever it is so that i can i can be the one that is that is doing something i need to pull myself up here by my bootstraps, we like to say. I need to use my business savvy uh, or, or I need to be a better person or, or I need to stop committing this sin or, or practicing whatever vice uh, it is. But this is not how God operates. He's steadfast. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means that a simple prayer like give us this day our daily bread is all we need during those uh, hard moments in our life. So instead of trying to do it ourselves, like Jacob, we should instead adopt the humble posture of listening to God's word and then relying on the Lord. So why does Jacob react like this? Well, because his awareness of God in, in this moment was too small. In fact, I would say God was small to Jacob. So instead of trusting in the God who was there, he trusts in superstitious practice to save him and his family. He's really no better than Laban is at this point. So let me just ask you, is God small to you? Is he small to you? Do you, do you have a hard time believing that God is, is at work in every aspect of your life, including those aspects of your life that seem impossible? Is he small to you? It's a great book I read a couple of years ago called Big God by um, a pastor, Orlando Sayers, and he writes about how we as Christians uh, tend to shrink God in our lives. And so what he goes through in his, in his book is, is the work of unshrinking God. And so each chapter kind of addresses some way that we shrink God, and then how do we unshrink him in our minds and in our hearts. So the first one, he says, is the un unshrinking the God of our hearts. So we've talked about that before. We, we create a God in our own hearts at times that, that does certain things, but it's, but it's not biblical. 
So we're unshrinking the God of our hearts, unshrinking God in our suffering. We tend to do that a lot, shrink God in our suffering. Unshrinking God in evangelism. Unshrinking God in decision-making. There's a lot of decisions that we make in life where God is absent. And we think we do that ourselves. And then unshrinking God in prayer. And he does say one way we can tell if we have started to shrink God in our lives is something that I brought up last week, and it's in the way that we talk. So I brought this up briefly last week about when we call certain situations that happen to us a God thing. And even that day at dinner, I had someone say a God thing. And I'm not going to say who it was, but I do share a bed with her. So, um, and she caught herself too. She asked for forgiveness on the spot. So... Um, But as I was reading this book, again, I was reading through the highlights that I had in this book, and he brings this phrase up and this practice we have of saying, um, you know, this is a God thing. But he also brings up another word that I like to use because it does ground me a bit more in God's presence. And just to confess, it makes me sound more spiritual, okay? And that is the word providential. He writes this. One way to spot if you're a God shrinker is just to listen to yourself talk. Do you sometimes use the word providential? That was so providential, bumping into Joe just when I lost my wallet. How else would I have got money for the bus home? So now saying something's a God thing or something is providential is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can bring on some problems. And so Orlando Sayers goes on to write, One problem with talking this way is that we're in danger of training ourselves to see God's work in the world as confined to certain events, perhaps one, ones which lead to short-term happiness or comfort, or ones which are just extraordinary coincidences. It actually makes our God smaller when we do that. And this is what Jacob proves to us by his actions here. God is small to him. And you might be saying... Well, it worked. I mean, superstitious or not, it worked. These these lambs were provided. I mean, he gets he gets very he gets I mean he asked for a little bit and he ends up becoming very wealthy from this whole transaction. And if that's you, you are missing what Jacob was missing, but later acknowledges in chapter thirty one, verses nine through twelve. And I'll just Spoiler alert, I'm just going to go ahead and read that for us, just so you know what Jacob finally realizes about what has happened and what we just read. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me, Jacob says. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and molted. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So Jacob even gets to a point that he admits that it's God. Not Jacob. Who is the one who is protecting him and providing for him. Like I said earlier, this is a pattern that we've seen through the line of promise. Trusting in self rather than trusting in God. Looking to your own way out of something rather than waiting for God's way. And we know that God is the one at work here based on what our author leaves us with at the end of chapter 30 in verse 43. Which may not sound like much to us, but it actually reveals a lot concerning what God is doing. 
Look there with me. Thus the man Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. And this brings to the conclusion of God's promises to Jacob in a lot of ways. He has blessed him with children from whom millions of Jewish people would come, and he has blessed him with an abundance, and he's now taking him back to the land that was promised to him, the land of his fathers. And with those words, we too can be encouraged for our present and our future because we have been given promises from God as well. I mean, these promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, and to all who come after him, those are our promises too. We are birthed out of the line of promise. Paul talks about this all throughout Romans, that we are grafted in to this line. So those are our promises too. But we also have the promise of the snake crusher. We have the promise of his son Jesus way back in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis. The one who God is sending to to, to defeat Satan, sin, and death on our behalf. And by this, Jesus defeats all of our foes through his death and through his resurrection. And because all of this has been fulfilled in Christ, we can have hope that he will continue to do as he has promised. To be with us always, even to the end of the age. That Christ alone is our only hope in life and in death. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true in all that it says to us and that all of it is applicable to our own lives, that it reminds us of this grand narrative um, that we don't just read about, but that we are part of. And so I pray that that truth would, would land heavy on our hearts, that this same God that was with Jacob is, this, is the God that is with us now. That you are the God who, who looks upon us and sees us in our sin and brokenness and you don't uh, repay us back um, for what our sins deserve. You have put all of that on your son, Jesus. And so God, I pray that that reality of what you have done for us in Christ through his death and his resurrection would change us. Even if this is the, we've, we've believed uh, you and believed the gospel for many, many years, I pray that that would renew our hearts in our minds this morning. I pray for those who may be believing this for the first time, that that would change them to the core, that you would give them new life in Christ today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.